This morning's reading is from Luke 6, 27 through 36, and Luke 6, 43 through 45. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to give back the same amount. But, your, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Luke 6, 43-45 For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here with us at River Oaks today. We are really glad you came. And um, so grateful for our students, our youth band, and uh, our children. You know, little Olivia Grace that sang that Ten Commandments song at the beginning. Just really, really grateful for all of you who work with our students and with our children. So, so very much appreciate that. Um, this morning, before we get into the message, I want to ask you to look at your bulletin, your worship guide that you got on the door, uh, on the way in at the door for a moment. There's a tear-off strip entitled, Hey, I'm Here, and we always appreciate it if you fill it out, whether you're here every week or this is your first time. The baskets will not come at the end of the service today for the offering. The ushers are going to have those at the door when you leave, and you can just drop these Hey, I'm Here cards in the baskets at that time. Do note in your bulletin a couple of special things happening this week. This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer, and so there are two community events here that we want to uh, note for you, one on Tuesday morning and the other on Thursday, and then uh, a brief congregational meeting next Sunday right after the first service. Do want to also mention we're going to celebrate communion today, the Lord's Supper after the message. And as is our custom when we celebrate communion, we always have a time for prayer after you've been served the bread and the juice. If you have a need for prayer for yourself, for a, a family member, some situation in your life, and you want some of our prayer leaders to pray for you, just make your way to one of these front rows after you're served the juice, and it would be our privilege to pray for you. Now, if you looked at your bulletin, you saw something that's a little different from typical announcements at the bottom of that middle panel. It's entitled Vision Frame. I'd like to tell you what that is just for a moment. Last summer, the elders on our church session began meeting, talking about the future of our church, considering a possible building expansion, and in this process began asking the question, how can we, as one local church, bear the most fruit that we can possibly bear. We know we're called to fulfill the great commission of Jesus, but how can our church contribute to that great mandate from our Lord Jesus most effectively? How can we best glorify God and make disciples? 
And the outcome of those meetings was the vision frame that you see there. Picture it like you're looking through a window frame and the, our 2025 vision in the, in the center. On the right of the frame is our, our mission. It answers the question, how, how can we best glorify God and make disciples? We think that's by discipleship in our church that helps followers of Jesus to embrace our identity as sent people. This is the way Jesus made disciples. He called followers to be with him. He taught them by his word and his example, and then he sent them out. And he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Every follower of Jesus is ultimately sent to the world with his love and his truth, with his mission and with his message. The discipleship pathway is a process for getting there growing to the point at which we can be sent into the world as his followers. It's not a menu of church options, it's a, it's a map for spiritual growth through the ministries of the church. The left of the panel are seven values that we hope characterize our church and will increasingly characterize the church in the years to come and characterize us as individuals in the church. And then the marks at the top of the frame have to do with making progress in living out these values. Now, as we talk about the marks, as we continue in this, we're looking at how to live out the value of being spirit-led, what it means to live a spirit-empowered life. And as we talk about the importance of living with the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I want to start by looking at three short verses in the Gospel of John. Our main passage is the one Bridget read a moment ago from Luke chapter 6. But these three short verses you see on the screen from John really show us how the Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill these challenging commands of Jesus. Jesus said these words to his followers. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now think about that for a moment. If you and I say that we love Jesus Christ then we will keep the commands that he gave. And if you were listening when Bridget read a moment ago, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who abuse you, commands like that, they are not easy. Forgive. Don't judge. These are challenging commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But look what else he said. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The helper helps us keep the commands of Jesus. When we're empowered by the Spirit, we can fulfill the commands of Jesus. Who is the helper? He'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth was one of Jesus' titles for the Holy Spirit. The helper who helps us keep the commands of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the world cannot receive him. All people don't have the Holy Spirit. Only those who've come to God through faith in Jesus and have received his saving work on the cross, whereby our sins are atoned for through the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood. Then the Holy Spirit dwells within his followers. And Jesus said, he not only dwells with you, he'll be in you. So the Holy Spirit lives within us enabling us to keep the commands of Jesus. He's our helper. 
He's the Spirit of truth. And Jesus said, He'll be with you, and He'll be in you. Now, as we talk about His empowering work, there are a number of ways we could look at what the Holy Spirit does. We could talk about the gifts that He brings. We could talk about the power He gives us for witnessing. But I'd like to focus this morning on the passage that was read from Luke chapter 6 and how the Holy Spirit enables us to keep the commands of Jesus, how he empowers us to obey what Jesus says to do. In the passage from Luke, we see the Holy Spirit empowers us to, number one, love unconditionally. This is the mandate for the follower of Jesus. Because God loves us unconditionally, we're to love others unconditionally, and even as Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, and lend. Expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be called sons of the Most High. What does Jesus mean by that? He simply means that we will be acting as God would act. We're modeling God. We're living like His children. Because God Himself is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, we are to be too. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. Easy enough to say, harder to do especially when we read the whole passage here in Luke chapter 6. Because when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, he, he then says this, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Turn the other cheek. What does he mean by that? Interestingly, Jesus himself was struck on the cheek. John chapter 18. And there... The Bible says Jesus, standing before the, the high priest, was being questioned. And Jesus said to the high priest, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said. They know what I said. When he said these things, the officer standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Now, why do I mention that? Only because some people take these commands of Jesus and apply them to a degree I don't think they were intended. When Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, we need to understand it in the context of these commands. If we look back at verse 22 of the same passage, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. He's talking about our being reviled, our being persecuted for the sake of the Son of Man. In those settings where someone curses you for being a Christian, he's saying turn the other cheek. I find that particular command of Jesus challenging, and it, and it helped me to read these comments by a, uh, a really gifted Bible teacher named Sam Storms. Sam Storms has a book called Tough Topics, where he deals with hard-to-understand verses in the Bible. And here's what he says about turning the other cheek. He says, even Jesus appears to resist the high priest uh, when the soldier slapped him on the cheek. 
Apparently, Jesus did not turn the other cheek. Why? Because Jewish law prohibited striking an accused person before he'd been legally convicted. Neither Jesus nor Paul nor we are to forego the protection the law provides. If someone assaults your neighbor or your spouse or your child or someone weak and helpless, go to their defense. Jesus is not suggesting that we stand idly by while others are being injured. He is not forbidding us from opposing evil when it threatens our families or our society. He is forbidding the taking of revenge for purely personal reasons when nothing is ultimately at stake except our pride, our reputation, or our so-called rights. The point is this. Jesus is prohibiting our efforts to vindicate and defend ourselves when someone insults us or seeks to humiliate, degrade, or exploit our Christian character. He's not calling us to be stupid and self-destructive when it comes to our physical welfare, that of others, nor are we being called upon to give ourselves over to mutilation or unnecessary martyrdom. Jesus is not describing an attack on your health, but on your honor. And in that way, I think he helps us to understand one of these commands. But the point is that the, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to live a life of love so that we do love our enemies, do bless those who curse us, do turn the other cheek when need be. Jesus says, give to everyone who begs from you. Have any of you ever found that command challenging? You ever driven up to a stoplight and had somebody with a sign out there that says, we'll work for food? and felt a guilty pang and just put down your window and given them a couple bucks and wondered whether you did the right thing. Beth and I were in San Francisco this past summer and we had gone out to eat. We were walking back to our hotel. I'd been told that there are a lot of homeless people in San Francisco and that did indeed seem to be the case. A lot of people, you know, outside of the restaurants asking for handouts and things and um, I couldn't resist taking a picture of this one individual. Um, I think you'll see it on the screen. And if you can't read his sign, let me read it for you. It says, why lie? I need weed. Well, I didn't intend to put any money in his basket. And so I, 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 I took the picture just to simply make the point. Yes, we're called to give to those in need. But love does not compel us to give if giving would cause harm. If you struggle with when and where to give, as I sometimes do, I want to recommend a book called When Helping Hurts. And an excellent guide to whether our, our giving is done more to ease our own conscience than to ultimately help someone else. The love of God calls us to give when a brother or sister is in need. This is absolutely true. But we want to be sure in our giving that we're not just perpetuating a problem for someone else. The Holy Spirit guides us to fulfill the love mandates of Jesus, the love commands further. In this passage, he empowers us to forgive and refrain from judgmentalism. Judge not, and you will not be judged, Jesus says. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. It's another one of those commands of Jesus that we often find very, very difficult to apply. Does this mean we never 
judge people. The way to understand these challenging commands of Jesus is to understand them in light of all of Scripture. Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus actually rebukes churches for not judging certain things. You can read that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where Jesus seems to be rebuking the leaders of churches because they allowed certain types of immorality to just go on unchecked in the church. I think if we took the teaching of the New Testament as a whole together, we would find it teaching us this. There is a time to make judgments, especially when something would hurt an individual or harm the church. There is a time when we're not to judge. That has to do with debatable things about which sincere Christians disagree. But there is never a time to have a judgmental attitude. And a judgmental attitude is really defined in this passage by Jesus. That's an attitude that, that condemns other people while excusing our own sin. Jesus says it this way. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That, I believe, is judgmentalism, a judgmental attitude, when we condemn the sins of others without seeing our own. The Holy Spirit enables us to walk in such a way that the forgiveness of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross takes such a hold of our heart that we don't live with a judgmental attitude. And when we're harmed by someone else, when somebody else assaults our reputation or slanders us or says something about us that's not even true, the Holy Spirit gives us the grace to forgive because God in his unconditional love has forgiven us. The Holy Spirit, when he's empowering our lives, empowers us to obey the commands of Jesus, to love unconditionally, to forgive, to refrain from judgmentalism. Thirdly, to bear good fruit. In this same passage in Luke, Jesus talks about the good person and the good treasure of our hearts. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus compares the human life to a tree that produces fruit. The book of Galatians gives us perhaps the best picture of this fruit in chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, that is this fruit the Holy Spirit produces on the tree of your life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Wonderful way. <coughs> excuse me, wonderful way <clears throat> to see whether you're progressing in a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life is to consider these fruit and the degree to which you see them growing in your life. Fruit grows, and it grows over time. And so it's helpful sometimes to consider my own life. Am I making progress in just living with the peace of God? What about my patience? Am I more patient with my wife, the people I work with? Am I progressing in that way?
kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, moderation. These are qualities the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. And the degree to which we are filled with the Holy Spirit will have a lot to do with the degree to which these fruit are growing and they're seen by other people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to bear fruit. And finally, the Holy Spirit empowers us to not only hear but obey God's word. Remember the first verses we looked at from John 14. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will give you another helper. How do we keep these challenging commands of Jesus to love our enemies, to forgive those who harm us, to turn the other cheek when need be, to give to brothers and sisters in need when we have the the means to help them? How do we do it? Well, the helper's here to help us do that. It's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us show our love for Jesus by keeping his words. And Jesus, in this beautiful passage in Luke, talks about the fact that we're not only to be hearers of his words, but we're to be doers of his word. The Holy Spirit, when he's filling your life and mine, will never lead you to act in a way that is contradictory to Scripture because the Holy Spirit is the great author. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture. The Holy Spirit has preserved Scripture throughout the ages so that what we have is an accurate record of His inspired words. The Holy Spirit illumines our minds when we read and study the Bible. Often when studying the Bible, I'll read a verse like some of these in Luke and and it will immediately bring needed correction or rebuke or direction to my life because the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and minds and he shapes our lives through the hearing and willingness to do these words. The Holy Spirit is our helper and he helps us obey God's words. Now, the question then is how? How do we have more of the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can keep these words of Jesus? I want to suggest three three words to you which are really as much hard attitudes as anything else as anything else but those words are honesty humility and hunger how can you and I experience more of the Holy Spirit's power well start start where you are acknowledge where you are spiritually you may be here today and you may not be certain that you're a Christian and the starting place then is to Accept the work that Jesus did on the cross where he shed his blood to pay for our sins. The Holy Spirit will always bring us to that when we're in need of forgiveness. And through embracing the gospel, that which Jesus did on the cross for us, to secure our salvation, the Holy Spirit brings his indwelling presence to our lives as he enables us to receive that message. For some, it may be saying, hey, I know I'm a Christian, but I just, I've grown cold and I need the renewing, revitalizing work of the Spirit in my life. Be honest about where you are. He knows anyway. And he is always at work to bring us to a revitalized walk with Jesus Christ. Honesty, then humility. The Holy Spirit empowers the humble. He never fills and empowers the arrogant, 
self-sufficient, prideful person. The Bible says God actually opposes the proud and he gives his grace to the humble. The person who's going to be filled with the Spirit is a person who's aware of her or his need for God's power. Acknowledge your need. And along with that, be willing to do his will. I think the Holy Spirit fills the person who says to the Lord, not my will, thy will be done. The willingness to do his will puts us in a position to receive the fullness of his power. So we got to ask sometimes, am I willing to do the will of God? Am I willing to do what Jesus says here? Love your enemies. Forgive those who harm you. Bless the ones who curse you. Pray for the ones who despitefully use you. And then finally, hunger. Jesus teaches us so we saw last week in Luke chapter 11. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. As we saw last week, that actually can be applied to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God fills the seeking, hungry, asking, knocking soul. The one who's yielded to God and wants to do His word, His will. It's true that every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within But every Christian does not live in the fullness of the Spirit to the same degree. Some Christians have a great deal of His power, His presence, and the fruit of the Spirit. Others seemingly have far less. What accounts for the difference? The Bible tells us to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's a command in the book of Ephesians. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be Spirit-filled is to be yielded to God, yielded to His control. Ask for His presence, His gifts, His fruit, and His power in your life. The Holy Spirit fills the longing, hungry soul. This morning, we'll take a few minutes to pray about this, but I think when we come to take the Lord's Supper, communion, perhaps there's no better time to express our longing to God for a greater work of His Spirit in our lives. Communion is all about recognizing that Jesus did for us what we could never do. On the night when He was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, He broke it. And He said to His followers in that upper room, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What did he mean by that? I think he meant when we take the bread and the juice, in a way it's a visible proclamation that we have received what he did when he shed his blood on the cross to provide for our salvation. We should reflect on that often. And I I think that's one reason he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, so we would reflect on it often. Come back to it, remember it, apply it to our lives. And then he tells us to examine ourselves before we take it because communion is, well, it's the perfect opportunity 
for self-examination. If there's someone we do need to forgive, if there's some sin we've been grasping onto and not willing to let go, it's a time to repent. Ask God to remove it from our lives. There's a way we see the need for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's a time for that. So would you join me now in a moment of prayer and then some silence as we let God speak to our hearts and prepare us to take the Lord's Supper. Father, we come now and ask that you would guide us as we prepare to receive this holy thing we call the Lord's Supper, communion. Lord Jesus, on the cross, you paid a debt that you did not owe. Each of us owed a debt we could not pay. And you took our place. You shed your blood. You had laid upon you the sin of the world. Though you were guilty of no sin. Lord, this day let us grasp the immensity of the grace that you have shown in the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, as we prepare to take communion, if there's anyone here who's never truly embraced the gospel for their own salvation, would you bring that person into the light of your understanding today that they could turn to you and say, Lord, I believe and Lord, I receive. Speak to us now, Lord, if there are things that we need to confess before you, before we take the Lord's Supper.